Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Miss Adulting, and welcome to the first episode of my three-part capstone series. I'm your host, Michaela Smith, and if you listen to my episodes, you'll know that I've mentioned this a few times before, a couple episodes back, to let y'all know that this series was coming, and now it's here. I have been blessed with the opportunity to include my podcast in my capstone project, which is my final research project to graduate grad school. I decided to create a mini-series that encompasses all of my research and relays really useful, really interesting, and really practical information to you all. So before we get started, I just want to put a little disclaimer out there. I'm not going to lie to you. These next three episodes are a little more serious and a little differently structured than my usual content, but worry not, I still mix the more technical aspects of my research with my usual fun communication style, the way that I usually talk to you all, very authentic, so I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not going to stay long in the intro because we've got some good information to dive into. So let's get into it. So I am positive that we are all familiar with TikTok. I know I am a little too familiar with TikTok. I've been scrolling quite a lot the past few days. Well, my research was actually done on these viral TikTok videos that you may or may have not seen before but they are of a woman finding people's birthdays, the month, day, and the year. This woman is TikToker, not Con Jr., who exposes parts of fellow users' identities when they ask her to do so. Her actual name is Kristen, and the more you watch her videos, the more you understand why she goes viral. She has a really fun and dynamic way of explaining her method of finding people's information. Kristen has actually recently added a playlist on her TikTok with her investigation videos that have gotten over 1 million views. And there are currently 13 videos in that playlist, which is quite a few times to go viral. According to Hootsuite, which is a social media management platform, anywhere from 250,000 to 1 million plus views is considered viral on TikTok. So like I said... 1 million viewers, 13 videos, that's, she's got it going on. So Kristen's TikToks are extremely interesting and they make us wonder how much privacy we give up when we choose to be on social media and choose to post on the internet. It takes her just a few minutes to find these people's birthdays. So imagine if she spent a few hours researching, what else could she find about these people? You might think you're safe, but if I've learned anything from this research, it's that no one, no one is entirely safe when online. Your information is not as private as you think. So before explaining how Kristen digs into people's lives, I have to give you some context and background on the issue of online privacy. So this episode summarizes what internet researchers already know about the topic. First, I'm going to define privacy for us so that we're all on the same page. 
Then I'm going to talk about the characteristics of online spaces that make it possible for others to invade our lives easily. And before wrapping things up, I'm going to share what academic studies reveal about how people already manage their privacy on the internet. And you can check all of the sources that I use in this study in the episode's description. I have a transcription of the episode with all of my sources there. So if you wanna go and read one, I've got it there for you. So let's get into what is privacy. What exactly is privacy and how can we define it? When we think of privacy, we usually think of it as something everyone has a shared understanding of. What is and isn't private, what things we should keep private, and what things we shouldn't know about other people's privacy. What we need to understand is that privacy is highly contextual. For example, your last hangover might be a private story at work. You're not telling it to all of your coworkers but you would probably be okay with sharing all of those details with your closest friends. So we shouldn't think of privacy as a binary that divides the things that we share or we don't share with others. In fact, private and public are a continuum or a spectrum. And in practice, privacy translates into a process of managing who has access or who does not have access to pieces of information. It is important to keep in mind that this process of managing our information is not random and we don't just think of it on the fly. It's actually the opposite and we normally consider several types of concerns when making decisions about our personal privacy. For example, we might weigh issues of reputation and image, security, surveillance, control, among other things when deciding what is private or not about us. Researchers call this the privacy calculus, and that is basically us weighing the benefits and the risks of self-disclosure. Think of the last time you decided not to post something on your social media. What were the concerns that you made to not share that picture or that video or comment on that post? Regardless of the answer that you gave to my question, it is reasonable to assume that culture influenced your decision. That's because the customs, ways of thinking, and living that we receive from our families, school, the media, and other social institutions do influence how we understand privacy. For instance, in one of my classes, me and my classmates were discussing an example of how in one of our readings, the author mentioned that when she was in China, the tea waiter in the restaurant needed to know if she was on her period. By knowing whether she was on her period or not, this would help guide her in making good food choices or drink choices for her. And they made a special tea for women on their period. Here in America, that information is seen as pretty private and it's definitely not something we would share with a server at a restaurant. This proves that different cultures have a different viewpoint of privacy. So now that we have a shared understanding of privacy, let's talk about some different internet characteristics that impact our privacy.
Okay, in this section, we're gonna talk about the internet characteristics that make it easier for people to invade our lives in online spaces. We are living in a society that is pretty reliant on the internet in general. This is not new news to us though. I personally grew up with these platforms and as I'm sure you've seen, they've only gotten more and more popular. On the internet, social networking sites are extremely common. A social networking site is a platform that allows users to create networks and connections with one another. So social media, right? Before the rise of Facebook and other social networking site platforms, online communities were mostly interest-driven. Now they are friendship-driven and spaces for people to engage with other people they already know. Essentially, social networking sites have changed the way that we interact in online communities. The rise of social networking sites created networked publics, which is a concept coined by a researcher named Dana Boyd. Dana describes networked publics as the spaces and communities restructured online by networked technologies. Networked publics have four characteristics regarding how online information circulates. These characteristics are persistence, visibility, spreadability, and searchability. So let's talk about those a little bit. Persistence is the characteristic of the durability of online content. It doesn't expire and it can be interacted with at any time. For example, when I post a story on Snapchat, it stays up for 24 hours and anyone can reply to it as long as the Snapchat is still up. A better example might be if I post an Instagram picture, it doesn't expire unless I delete it, and people can interact with it at any time whether I'm online or not. Visibility is the characteristic of how accessible online content is to potential audiences. Usually when you post something online, unless you want every person to ever exist to see it, you have to take extra steps to minimize visibility to just the people that you want to see that post. Spreadability is the characteristic of how easy online content can be shared. Like when you retweet something or share a post on Facebook, it is a really easy task, making that information easily spreadable with the click of a button. Lastly, Searchability is the characteristic of how searchable our online communications are. Think of how easy it is to see who liked a picture or who commented on it, or even who tagged someone in a post. These characteristics of these networked publics amplify all aspects of life and they emphasize the sharing of information in online communities. In networked publics, there is also a blurring of lines between private and public due to us sharing so much information on these public platforms. Now, let's connect the idea of privacy with networked publics. As I mentioned before, privacy is a process of managing who gets access to certain types of information. Well, it turns out that the characteristics that we just talked about of networked publics make it harder to manage our privacy. In fact, platforms like Facebook or TikTok maximize three types of dynamics in networked publics. 
These are invisible audiences, context collapse, and the blurring of private and public. So let's talk about invisible audiences. This refers to the limitless audience that is actually out there. When we create and put content on social media, we envision and we know who we want to reach. But the reality is that we do not always know who our audience is or who is consuming our content. For example, if I post something on Facebook and tag my mom in it, all of my mom's friends can see that post. I don't even know half of my mom's friends, so I don't know who is seeing it. Another example might be when I'm posting content for this podcast on Instagram, I know who I want to reach, but there's no idea to know who is exactly looking at my content and consuming it. That's an invisible audience. Context collapse occurs when different contexts with different social norms come together in the same online space. For example, Instagram has a feature that allows you to share what you share on Instagram to your profile on Facebook as well. I don't know about you, but my Facebook is geared towards a different audience. Those are the people that I keep updated with school or maybe just some other things. I'm not very active on Facebook. My Instagram is for Definitely a different and younger crowd. I post my gym pics, I post my bikini pics, I post my hanging out with my friends at the bar pics on Instagram. There have been countless times where I post a picture that is intended just for Instagram and because of Instagram and Facebook being connected, it goes to Facebook too. This is context collapse. We have different self-presentations to different groups of people who who are our different audiences. But context collapse is when we are presenting ourselves to our audience as one group. There are two types of context collapse. Context collusion and context collision. Collusion is when we intentionally flatten out our audience context into one group Whereas collision is when we unintentionally flatten out that audience and they collide into each other. So the blurring of public and private refers to how social networking site platforms bring different audiences into the same online space, which makes it harder to keep the personal aspects of our lives separated from the public aspect of our lives. Because we tend to share things online, our personal life is increasingly more public. Even our personal information goes into a social media platform database, depending on which platform you use. They all have a database and they take our information and put it in there. Okay, y'all. As we've seen so far, it's not easy to manage our privacy on the internet. So what does previous research tell us about how people are managing their privacy? One of the strategies that people use is to change the settings on their social media platform. For example, research shows that younger college-aged people 
actively engage in changing privacy settings to manage visibility and privacy depending on their motivations and experiences. For me, I actively used the privacy settings on Instagram while I was teaching because I didn't want my students to see my Instagram account. However, another study reveals that most people rather not deal with the technical features of platforms because it requires more time and work, and it does. In that case, it's easier to just watch what you're posting on social media. This is called the lowest common denominator approach. When people use the lowest common denominator approach, this is when they only disclose information that will not shock everyone in their network of contacts. For example, on Facebook, where I have my friends, family members, coworkers, supervisors, former teachers, so many different kinds of people on there, I present myself differently to all of those people. So when I'm making a post on Facebook, I take that into account and I post something that is safe for all of those groups of people to encounter and it keeps me out of trouble. In addition to changing privacy settings and being careful about their posts, people also lie to protect their privacy. This is not an unfamiliar concept as I'm sure we've all done this online and even in face-to-face -face social settings, but we do it to ensure our privacy and safety. While lying is a form of deception in many scenarios, it also is technically a privacy strategy. But in this day and age, honestly, it can be difficult to lie as a privacy practice due to technology often violating our privacy. It does things like sharing our location, sharing whether we're online or not, and it even unknowingly ties us to our peers. Another strategy that people use is to delete their own comments on other people's posts a couple days after they were made. By using this technique, people felt like they could focus on their current situations and not have to focus or not have to worry about the things that they said in the past. This strategy could be considered managing one's own content, which is when someone engages in self-surveillance and pays special attention to the content that they put on social media. Another method is hiding messages in plain sight. We see this happen on social media by someone making a post with song lyrics that only their close friends will understand the context of those lyrics. Another example might be subtweeting or posting where only your specific audience, like your close friends, will know how to decode your message and will understand what you're saying. A study on college students showed that strategies like using pseudonyms or fake names, concealing their identity, or adopting different personas or personalities was popular among them. There was even the mention of creating and using Finstas, which is a fake Instagram, which my usual audience I'm sure is familiar with, but using a Finsta as a means to manage one's privacy. I know for me, I use my Finsta as a way to post the real me to close friends or other people I know through their Finstas. Overall, Managing privacy on the internet goes beyond simply changing privacy settings on social networking sites. 
It requires us to actively try to protect our information. After summarizing all of this research, I started to wonder what were the steps that the TikToker I talked about earlier took to uncover people's date of birth and what were the steps that her viewers took to conceal this information? These are the two questions that I explore in the next episode. So I focused on these two things for my research because they can help us understand and be more aware of our digital pre presence, which I believe we need now more than ever. We live in a digital society where everything is put on display on social media, and that's the norm. Knowing how you are or can be surveilled on the internet can impact how or what you and others post about yourself on social media. So a very quick recap before you move on to episode two. In this episode, I introduced to you my really cool and awesome research for my capstone, and I gave you all the context you need to know before defining some terms and concepts for you. Privacy is the process of managing who has access or not to pieces of information. Networked publics are the spaces and communities restructured online by networked technologies. And because of the characteristics of these networked publics, persistence, visibility, spreadability, and searchability, it is increasingly harder to manage and maintain our privacy due to how easily our information can be found and shared. At the end, we talked about the actual strategies people already use to protect their privacy, like controlling their situation, using privacy settings, and even lying, as well as other things. So you can remember to check the transcript for this episode to see all of the academic sources that I used if you want to. And I know I gave you a lot of information, so I don't want to keep you long here in the outro, but I wanted to say thank you so, so much for listening to episode one of my three-part capstone series. Get ready for episode two, because that is where we will be diving into the juicy, juicy, juicy part of my research project. Once again, thank you for listening, and I will catch you on the flip.